Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today's guided meditation continues on from the earlier session we conducted with the focus on having a dirty Dhamma practice. In this guided meditation we were looking at where we still can't see as we're practicing Dhamma, trying to manifest the Buddha's teachings, where we still go wrong. Whether it's with our Kalyanamittas, spiritual friends, our Dhamma teachers, fellow retreatants, in our Dhamma circles and Dhamma groups, and all the good things associated with Dhamma practice. So we remind ourselves why we are doing this meditation. We're not trying to become super clean, good people, although that may be part of the end result. But it's not the main reason. The main reason is because in order to progress on this path, to develop and manifest fully the teachings of the Buddha to clear the mind of things which are obstructing us from fully knowing and realizing what the Buddha means, what he actually taught. We have to abandon or rid ourselves of these smelly, filthy nasty defilements. From the earlier meditation, we saw some of the areas where it creeps in, where we may not have looked before or persisted in trying to clean up. All of us have a way of sweeping things under the carpet, allowing things to fester, not owning up. So this meditation and the other one with the Dhamma focus is really our opportunity together to clean it up, to look where it's hard to look, and to give all of ourselves a chance of being better Dhamma practitioners who join into Dhamma circles, Dhamma groups, maybe leading Dhamma sessions, teaching, wanting to teach. If we don't follow what the Buddha says, it's very hard for us to grow, to progress. And we are not suvacha. We're not easy to instruct. 
we're not easy to give feedback to. And we stagnate, veer off the path, or we don't grow. So have this in mind as we go through the other parts of the Vatubhama Sutta, the other upakilesas, defilements, mental stains. Have that in mind. If there are examples that are painful or they strike a chord, really look at it. Really focus the attention of the meditation there within this guided meditation and outside this meditation. Think of it as a blessing to start to see what one can't or refuses to see. Think of it as removing the obstacles, removing the blocks. And if you take it in this way, the path starts to really unfold. There'll be gladness in the mind. The mind will experience great pleasure. The body will relax and become tranquil. And there'll be a deeper happiness. It's not Nibbana. But it's something that helps you to concentrate the mind. And from that place you can discern and realize truth from Buddha's teachings. So get comfortable. Relax the mind. And let's begin. Let's now examine competition or rivalry. It's Sarambo in Pali. It's quite an easy one to understand just from the word that we use. But clearly it's about trying to surpass others, trying to win. It involves competing, outdoing, beating, winning, thwarting. And when it comes to the mental defilement, there's a propulsion in the mind. It needs to go and do something, say something from that mental defilement. And also within that mental defilement is a very strong construction of self. The delusion is in maybe reputation, who I think I am, 
who I want others to think of me as? What kind of light do I want to show myself in? What type of views I'm holding? That's probably the strongest thing within the construction of me and mine that is propelling these thoughts of sarambo competition. So when it comes to how this looks in Dhamma, we do actually see this a lot. It could be a sense of rivalry within a Dhamma community towards the teacher. It can be really, really subtle in terms of competing for attention, competing for acceptance, competing for praise. And it may not look like competing in our minds, you know, because it's covered. But usually you can see it with honesty is when you feel hurt or when you see the suffering in those that are doing it within a community. You know, when you observe that, but you're not the participant in it, but you can see it and you see the suffering, the pain that people go through, jumping through hoops in order to be recognized, acknowledged, praised by the teacher. If you can see that, it's worth asking the question, do I have any of that kind of rivalry needing to compete, whether in a subtle way or an overt way within a Dhamma community, particularly towards a teacher or teachers? It can feel a little bit like siblings wanting the attention or acceptance of parents. The most obvious one is, of course, in our Dhamma circles, maybe in our Dhamma messaging groups, maybe when we get together for Dhamma discussions. Dhamma chats, suit the study even. But how it appears in a verbal action manifestation could be when we're trying to one up and each other in maybe knowing suttas or uh, talking from our experience. But you can see the escalation of the comments or the dialogue. As it escalates, 
It can then feel like a tennis match volleying across the net. And using Dhamma as the ball. And it could be about quite relevant Dhamma topics or points of distinction, points of controversy. And you keep lobbing the proverbial Dhamma ball back and forth. So it can happen between only two friends and one can speak very nicely by calling each other friend or sister brother but the proverbial ball the dhamma ball gets shot across the net and it gets increasingly competitive but then it could be more than one person uh, you know playing tennis with another one it could be a all-out match um, where you have more people and it keeps going like that so it becomes less like tennis and more like something else but you get my point and I think it's good to reflect in the meditation about anything that is like that whether there is that propulsion to debate to argue To defeat someone in Dhamma, where Dhamma becomes like a weapon, but not from a place of loving kindness, but from a place of competition. Because Buddha does say that Dhamma or our, our knowledge, our practice, the wisdom of the Buddha, you know, they can become like our weapons. That's how Buddha uses it for Bahusutta in the Nagaropama Sutta. However, it's very clear in that Sutta that these weapons are not weapons that hurt people, harm people. It's more to overcome defilements. And so you don't overcome competition with competition. Even the Saleka Sutta says that, that competition is overcome by non-competition. And maybe you apply other weapons such as Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. All of those four are very useful when it comes to competition. What one misses to see, particularly when you're coming from a place of a constructed self, who you think you should be, who you want people to see you as, is you fail to see that at this level we're all sakers, we're unperfected, we're all travelling the Noble Eightfold Path, particularly in these Dhamma groups and Dhamma communities, Kalyanamittas, teachers, students. And so it's almost like we're fighting with defilements with each other, but thinking that it's actually something more wholesome. 
because it's Dhamma. Now, I'm not saying that every single one of discussion, debate, commentary is going to be unwholesome, but one needs to look to actually self-examine and see. To ask that question whether this mental defilement exists, whether it has existed in the past or whether it's active now. Sometimes we compete in our minds even when we're listening to Dhamma because we're always looking for faults. And when the me and mine is active and views are very active, then competition has the ability to have fertile ground. And so even when we listen to a talk, there can be very subtle competition in when we listen to a talk. Is that the same as what someone else said? Or is that the same as what I understand in my insight? Now, if the answer is a helpful one towards the path, it may not be competition. But when it's coming from a place that is unwholesome, and that's to be investigated, then it can be this mental defilement. We don't see that our primary place where we exist is actually in wrong view. And the reason why it is this is because we don't make enough effort towards developing the right view and maintaining that right view. Our conditioning is such that we fall into these wrong views constantly throughout our day in everything that we do. And if one can admit that, then it's easier to actually see how easy it is to activate competition, particularly when it comes to Dhamma. Now, if you teach, then rivalry can sometimes be projected onto you by others. Or a trap can be overtly or subtly laid or it can just simply exist. And so that's another thing to always investigate and watch out for, that if you're teaching Dhamma, to actually see whether there is this mental defilement, because sometimes that also drives certain behaviors when, when one teaches. And when you're teaching collectively, it's always good to be very mindful of competition as a mental defilement, and then how, if it does exist, how it can cause certain verbal actions, particularly. It's always good to cultivate a lot of loving kindness, a lot of karuna, compassion, when you're teaching together. So the focus becomes less around oneself even when one is teaching and for the benefit of others, for the mudita, you have joy for the teaching of others as well if you're teaching together.
even if it doesn't come from you, but it comes through a fellow teacher to be of great benefit to students, to listeners, that you're joyful about it. That that person can deliver the Buddha's words and can give an interpretation of the Buddha's words that is so helpful to others. And behind that is not claiming the teaching as yours. That whatever comes from you comes directly from Buddha well, as much as possible. And you don't claim any of it. And like the Arahants. The Arahants never claim that the Dhamma is theirs. They know the true source is the Buddha who enlightened on his own. And is the perfect teacher. So there's great humility that uh, comes in the face of competition. That non-competition comes from a place of, of humility. And of course there's equanimity, upeka. It takes a very balanced measure of things. It's not necessarily indifference, but it's more understanding, comes from a place of understanding. Because the truth is, in order to compete in anything, as we know from uh, everyday life, competition, there's a lot of pain associated with competing and beating and winning and rivalry. And at a physical level, when you compete in sports, it's very agonizing to train to then compete and then to win and lose winning and losing are pretty much the same thing it's painful and so when in dhamma you see that it can be exactly the same when you actually identify the dukkha that comes with this mental defilement that manifests from this defilement you start to see that it's not something to be cultivated, that there's a cruelty within this, this mental defilement. Cruelty comes from even words we don't even know will hurt, will harm. It comes even from the tone when we're competing around Dhamma. If you really... Just observe conversations in Dhamma. Like, don't speak, don't think, just observe. You can really pick up cruelty. And it's not that it's intended, not all the time. It's actually from moha, delusion. And it does hurt, like if you observe people... The words may not sound particularly hurtful, they're not harsh, the voices are not raised or anything, but it could be an energetic thing, but it could be how it landed, not even the person's intent, their intent wasn't to harm, but how it landed on the person who received it was painful. And so when we have Dhamma discussions, Dhamma chats, 
it's really good to be mindful of this particular mental defilement and to be cautious with our speech. Is it the right time? Is it gentle? Is it of benefit? Things like that. You know, these are Buddha's counsel when it comes to speech. As we know, when we compete or when we see other people competing and how they behave, it's not pleasant. And we don't often like people who are competitive, obnoxious in that competition. And knowing that it's so disagreeable, we take Venvul Mahamogalana's words from Anumana Sutta, that if it is disagreeable and unpleasant for us to see that in others, then what would others think about when they see it in me? They wouldn't like it. They wouldn't find it agreeable. In fact, they would find it quite hurtful, disagreeable, unpleasant. They might even hate it. It's important to examine it in our meditation and ask the question, does this mental defilement arise with my Kalyanamittas? Does this mental defilement arise even with my teacher or teachers? Does this mental defilement arise in my Dhamma communities and Dhamma groups? Do I always want to win Dhamma debates? Or Dhamma arguments? Do I try and outdo others instead of just working along with them? being supportive rather than competitive.
And is there fear when it comes to losing arguments? A fear of not knowing? A fear of being outdone? Because if there is, it's very good in the meditation to have a look at where that is coming from. And it may be hard, it may be painful, but it's very useful to to take it as something that can be examined more deeply. You know, with all these mental defilements, they point at something, point at something that we either think is lasting or that we can control, a, a very strong sense of me and mine, a very strong sense of wanting sukha. And misapprehending objects, misapprehending that there is suba. And in the case of competition, it usually comes back to the sense of me and mine and the strong views we hold around me and mine. It feels very dense. Like when we talk about one-upmanship, winning, beating, outdoing, it feels very dense in the mind. Lots of constructing and not particularly wholesome at all. And so in the meditation what we want to do is actually see that these things are very unwholesome, that at the level of knowing, you actually see how unwholesome it is and not of any benefit in Dhamma groups, communities, with our friends, with our teachers, uh, with our students. And so from that place where you feel it's so dense that it can be quite cruel, quite harmful, you need to get really disgusted with it, really shameful and disgusted and find it quite troubling to, to harness any of this kind of thoughts associated with the defilement. And if the mind really does see that in the meditation, you know, with great honesty to oneself, then what happens is the mind immediately lifts the, 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 the stopgap that is been exerting pressure on the mind, it gets relieved. And the relief comes from understanding that we're all in quite a difficult place. You know, all our Dhamma friends, all our Dhamma community, all our teachers, all our students, we're all in this human predicament that we don't get what we want, that if we manifest in, in this way, we are actually hindering all of our paths. And where we are the same is, you know, we're all in this predicament of old age, sickness and death. We're all sakers who are trying to understand the Buddha's words. We're trying to walk the Noble Eightfold Path and struggling. Uh, the conditions that are swirling around us are quite difficult. And we grasp onto Dhamma, which is like a lifeline. But within Dhamma, we make a bit of a mess of it. 
And so the more of us who actually admit that we're still making a mess, even in Dhamma, it helps everyone else because by addressing it, by looking at it ourselves, eventually that manifests in the right way. Eventually, it's a gradual process and we can become much more functional, a much better example in our Dhamma groups as teachers, as students, as friends, as friends in Dhamma. Most of us in Dhamma, we want to liberate or get to a a safe destination. And along the way, most of us think, I'll bring as many loved ones with me as possible or anyone as possible. And competition hinders that. When you see that, you realize, I actually need to abandon this. That's a really good thing. Because if if you can't abandon it, then it's very hard to bring anyone with you. The qualities that are manifesting through you through this mental defilement make it very challenging. They become quite an obstacle, quite a barrier for other people to accept. So right now we can rejoice that it is not there, that we have meditated and examined a few examples maybe some of them have resonated for you but there can be happiness in the absence of it as with all the buddha's teachings and the arahants it is in the absence of the defilement of the hindrance that one can be happy one can be happy that we are walking the noble eightfold path that we are easy to instruct at the point of giving up the unwholesome qualities. The Arahants would be happy for us. The Devas would be happy for us. To see one who is striving, making effort to practice well, to heed the words of the Buddha and the Arahants.
we can make a strong determination from this place of happiness, of tranquility, concentration. We can make a strong determination not to cultivate, not to breed competition, rivalry as a mental defilement. With that strong determination, it can happen quickly or gradually. But sometimes it's useful when we go into Dhamma chats, Dhamma groups, community, to actually say to ourselves in advance, just to affirm this strong determination that I will be non-competitive as much as I can. Non-competition overcomes this mental defilement of competition. And something so simple can be so useful. I used to say um, to certain people, remember to play nicely. And that's a very subtle way of saying, don't compete and don't manifest defilements uh, when you go and interact with people. And sometimes it's a very good reminder for ourselves to go and play nicely. It's a bit like when we're kids, you know, our parents say, go and play nicely. You know, the intent behind it is not to be nasty to anyone. And mental defilements lead to physical and verbal uh, defilements. And so I think it's a useful one to use a skillful means to remind ourselves, uh, play nicely. Let's end the meditation here and share the merit and all the blessings of today's meditation with all sentient beings. May all beings be well. May all beings be free from suffering. And may all beings find the right view. Wishing you all well. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Peruan Saranai.